Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Welcome, welcome everybody. This is episode 45. Um, exciting, exciting business we have ready for you today. It's a electric, electric business that everyone, everyone wants to talk about. So let's really reveal the cover and see how they do yeah. truly inside. So the company we are covering today, uh, as you saw in the title, is Netflix. <coughs> Boom, Netflix. Yeah. Think about that. Fast, yeah. fast-growing company. So, you know, it, it is exciting company. Very electric company. It's on the news, pretty much every day. Yeah. So, it'll be it'll be exciting to see what what it says underneath the cover. So, before we dive in, let's do a quick disclaimer on this one. Also, uh, like we do in every episode, this you know our platform here is to educate you guys on how to uh, value companies. You know, we're not here to provide you financial advice on how to manage your how to how to manage your personal finances you know this is for education and entertainment purposes only so take that take all take everything we say with grain of salt yeah so let's get this started shall we yeah so netflix let's go down the checklist here and also as we always mention if you don't have the checklist with you please do email us at info at valueinvestor.org o-r-g we would be happy to send our checklist. This is what we use to analyze our companies. Or send us a tweet. At, or that. Uh, at Value Investor TV. Or that, yes. Awesome. Let's go down the list here. Question number one to you, Hari. What does Netflix do? Yeah, so they, they describe themselves as the world's leading internet television network. So I find that description actually kind of interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, because... I would have figured, you know, they do movies, they do streaming, they do, um, you know, they used to do DVD, mm-hmm. um, and they still actually do. Uh, so, world's leading internet television network. So they internet cons- television network. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, which is which is true. I mean, they they're operate in 190 countries, uh, everywhere basically except China, and countries that the U.S. doesn't allow U.S. companies to do business, like North Korea. Um, Why? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. More areas for growth. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they have 137 million members worldwide. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, you know, they they do a monthly subscription um, where you are able to uh, stream, uh, you know, uh, their entire content uh, backlog f- uh, free of commercials and free of any long-term, you know, subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So, so unlike, you know, their competitors like cable TV, you don't have to sign up for a year, you know, thing. You don't have to buy any equipment. It's a month-to-month, you know, thing. So, I mean, most people here listening to are either already a Netflix subscriber or, yeah. or have been in the past or are familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So, the reason we're telling you this is this is how they describe mm-hmm. themselves uh, in their annual report. Yeah, which is which is important to understand as value investors because how they define themselves really define how we what sort of lens we need to look to evaluate the company. Yeah. So, okay, that is question one. Let's move on to question two, which is this. Does the company have a competitive advantage? Describe them in the categories below. And we list out a few categories here. Well, let's, let's, uh, okay. let, let me give you a couple more things about them and then we'll talk about the sure, yeah. competitors. Um, 
you know, they operate in three different segments. Uh, domestic, international streaming uh, are the first two, and then domestic DVD. So surprisingly, you know, you may not be able, you know, they don't advertise it anymore, but you can still get DVDs uh, by mail from Netflix, which was what their original business was. So the streaming market, um, domestic is obviously the United States and international is the entire rest of the world. Um, and then they compete, according to them, against three different, uh, four different groups. Um, multi-channel video programming distributors, MVPDs, which, um, you know, is... <laughs> the acronym? Yeah, the acronym is uh, <laughs> really what they're talking about is cable companies um, mm -hmm. and, you know, broadcast TV, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, actually, not broadcast TV, but uh, cable companies. Uh, internet content providers, so um, Hulu and, you know, Amazon Prime, um, they also include in their piracy, you know, so that that is, I, I found that interesting that they acknowledge that, you know, there's a big uh, level of piracy in their, um, you know, that they have to compete with. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, people are sharing Netflix accounts mm -hmm. with uh, each other, which is a fairly common thing too. So, mm -hmm. um, and then I, I found this also kind of, odd but um video game providers are are there you know so i think that's a nod to their target audience which is much younger you know demographic 18 to 25 um you know so they're competing with their attention right yeah. um and you know um and then dvd retailers which you know i think that is a slowly you know dying business yeah uh for them um they're not putting a lot of effort into it but it's actually still very profitable so mm -hmm. um all right, and then the last thing which I thought was kind of hilarious was their company objective, which is uh, their goal is to win moments of truth. Like that. What does that mean? I have da, no idea. Da, da. But you, I think I think it's interesting that they point out a, a whole slew of competitors here. You know, yeah. we're talking about video game segments, we're talking about TVs, we're talking right. about all these other other forms of entertainment. And I read online that Netflix also considers sleeping, napping, part of their competition. So it's their true. their their competition is napping. Everyone loves napping. Well, it's going to be hard. You can't beat sleep. Beat that, yeah. <laughs> it's undefeated. So. Anyway, all that to say, your competition, they really consider the whole slew of what you can do with your leisure time competition. Anything that, can, that you can do with your leisure time and competition. So pretty broad, broad net right there. <clears throat> so should we go on to the next question? Yeah. Yeah. So the next question is about competitive advantage. Um, and I, I left off at describing a few categories below. So back to the checklist here. Yep. So first is brand. Does it have a you know, noticeable brand? Number two is network effects. Three, switching cost. You know, how hard is it for me to switch from Netflix to something else, for example? Uh, four is low-cost provider. And then fifth one is intangible assets. So tell me, Harry, do, does Netflix have competitive advantage and if you could describe them in these categories that'd be wonderful yeah i think um so obviously if you're listening to the podcast you've probably heard of netflix mm -hmm. you probably you know worldwide that brand is fairly well known yep. right everyone has heard of it it's not an uncommon thing so they're well known in the streaming market if you're going to cut the cord or if you don't have cable and you're signing up for some sort of entertainment provider netflix is probably top of mind in terms of mm -hmm. you know uh go that that thing mm -hmm. um and i think you know interestingly enough the last five years or so they've raised prices several times and still have seen growth so they're not losing their subscriber base um when they raise prices now i don't know how much 
you know, how long that can last. I think they still have a long way to raise prices. Um, and so, um, you know, so I think their brand is probably their strongest competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so network effects, there's no real benefit. Um, if, if my, f- uh, cousin in Florida also has Netflix, I don't really gain any benefit by having, you know, Netflix also. Right. So it's not a, yeah. there's, there are no network effects there. Although I'll say maybe there's like a minimal network effect in the sense that, you know, people talk about, let's say, my social circle, for example. Sure. That everyone is watching something on Netflix, and I don't have Netflix account to watch that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to be left out, so I'm going to go sign up for Netflix to watch that episode of whatever. Sure. Or you borrow your friend's password. Or that. Yeah. But, uh, that. I mean, yeah, you're right. There is a little bit of network effects in that if my friends are watching a show, then I may sign up to watch that mm-hmm. show. Is that a... You know how strong is Durable, that? And how yeah. how quantifiable is that? Hard to tell, right? right? Yeah, but the um, so switching cost. Um, you know, there's really no switching cost uh, for this. They don't <laughs> have a moat there that protects them. You can cancel your account at any time. Um, there's no long term contract. Um, that said, they could change that. You know, in the future, but uh, as of the yeah. last you know annual report, they didn't mention any like plans to yeah. do a annual contract or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Switching over from like, for example, uh, you know, this to Hulu. Yeah, it, it's not painful. Like for users, it's not painful. Right. I'm switching to this and then moving on. To, unless you have like something, you know, something really compelling, some compelling content that only exists on Hulu or Netflix. Right. And yeah. it, you know, it's not like bank accounts where you don't need ten bank accounts. Mm. I mean, unless you're shady, <laughs> you know, you have one bank account for the most part. Yeah. And switching from one bank account to another. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal because all your bill pay and all of this stuff is tied to it, right? So switching from Netflix to another one, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah, or you you may even have both. You know, you may have Hulu, you have Netflix, and you have Amazon Prime, and you can watch multiple things, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Okay, so the next one was... um, Low-cost provider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a definitive no. Um, You know, they have to spend a lot of money to get content right uh, on their platform and um they don't have any competitive advantages in fact i would say you know their entire streaming platform uses amazon's ec2 mm-hmm. um i mean maybe they get a discount because of their scale uh with amazon i'm i don't know but they don't really talk about that as yeah. a thing um and so i don't see that there's any you know they have a low cost um provider moat in the streaming business yeah it's not built into the business structure our business business architecture yeah okay Um, next so they do have some intangible assets and those are their content itself Mm -hmm. right so they've built up uh starting in 2012 started producing their own tv shows and movies uh and they did that uh, with the express intent that there are barbarians at their gate um you know that other people will start getting um envy of their you know their streaming you know platform and their 130 million subscribers so now they're you know they're they're planning on licensed content uh um you know reducing that um and getting more of their own original content so there's there's caveats to that obviously the um uh you know but for right for right now i think those are the two the brand and the intangible assets are their biggest competitive advantage yeah exactly so we'll talk about well, you know, you bring up you bring up a really good point, which is you know the reliance on these content creators on the Netflix end. But we'll talk about that more in detail later. Yeah. Um, and we touch kind of touched on when we were going through these 
competitive advantage, we kind of touched on the the second the, the, the th- this question that I was going to ask you, which is how durable are these competitive advantages? Yeah, so you know, one of the things that I find kind of interesting about the durability of their advantages, so they're the first mover into this space. They kind of created, you know, online streaming, yeah. right? Um, but you know, when you look at their asset catalog, right? A lot of what people are watching on their um, their 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 platform is actually not their own content. More than half of their uh, of their streaming is actually from licensed content. So, and then now what you're seeing is the barbarians at the gate. Disney is starting their own streaming service, um, and actually has an enormous catalog. Right. So let's talk about Disney for a second. Even though this is about Netflix. Disney has a 75-year, 80-year history of producing content that they own fully, you know, licensed to. Mm-hmm. For them to put it on their own service basically costs them nothing, right? I mean, that, um, you know, the cost to b- produce Snow White in 1937, that's amortized out 85 years or 70 years ago, you know? So th- that's that's gone, right? They don't have to spend money on that anymore. So, you know, all of these assets in this backlog is you know, something that, you know, they've built up. But the other thing that's interesting about Disney is that their focus is on young children. So if you have young children, you will notice they will watch the same thing over and over and over and over again. And they are willing to watch the same thing over and over again because, you know, that that stuff that you watch as children, you actually still watch as adults too, right? I still watch those things with my kids. I'm willing to pay for, for Disney when I look at Netflix's catalog, it's mostly geared towards you know the young adult young and adult mo- yeah. m- market. The problem with that is is that that content has a very short half life, right? I'm not watching, you know, you, you know when you watch a movie, think about how that gets distributed, right? Goes to the theater, you watch it in the theater, and you know it. Then it goes, you know, two or three months later, it goes to the, the you know streaming services, Blu-ray, etc. And then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind after a while, right? You don't watch a bunch of, you know, 90s movies. There are a few cult classics that you, you know, people, you know, continuously watch. And then for the most part, things kind of disappear. Mm -hmm. So, but children's content has a very different kind of, you know, you know, uh, life, you know, longevity to it. People are watching that for a much longer period of time. And so what I, what I see, and I'm, you know, I'm certainly not an expert you know, in this, but I, I do see that there is a longer chart tail that, you know, Disney has for their content and then they go and buy Fox. So they have an enormous catalog to offer. And so I think there's a compelling value uh, for that. And, you know, where, where I, what I don't see with, uh, with Netflix is, you know, they're only, they've only been doing this for four or five years. It's going to take them a really long time to build up, you know, that content backlog. And so, the risk for them is the licensed content, you know, is is going to disappear, right? And so these services get spun up and people take their content off. So, you know, they spend $100 million just to license Friends for one year. When Friends goes away, you know, sure, f- people will watch other things on Netflix, but it's actually the third most popular show on Netflix. I mean, you know, when you look at the first most popular show is The Office. Um, this was in November uh, of 2018, so you know it, it's going to fluctuate a little bit. But 
The Office, Friends, and Grey's Anatomy were three of the top four things, and they were they're not they don't belong to Netflix. And these other services, NBC and Warner and ABC, are going to start their own streaming services. Yeah. That's going to disappear. So what are they left with? You know, um, and I think that you know you look at um, some of the other content that they did uh, produce, uh, like Daredevil, is actually going to disappear from the service. So. I feel like they have some things, but they're going to lose some of their competitive advantage as they go forward because they won't have that licensed content to, to be a backstop yeah. you know, um, for them. So on, on that, on that note, right, you are going to lose a lot of the, a lot of the content that's al- already on Netflix because all these other uh, content providers are providing their own services, streaming services. Yeah. And now Netflix is investing heavily, really heavily in their own original content creation Right, and as you said, it is going to take a while for that catalog to build and really stick. You know, maybe to have, like you said, you, you know, talk about you talked about '90s classic, you know, cult classics. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll land a couple of them. You right, know, it, it could be a possibility that hey, maybe they could land a gigantic, you know, series of movies that could really, you know, really take them to the next level of being a original content creators, and that could solve. That could be. That could be kind of the. I mean, I guess, I guess from the Netflix Netflix executives' perspective, that's kind of what they're aiming for, right? Yeah. So you want to, you know, you're putting in a lot of money as an investment to make sure that you create one of these big hitters, right? And then those big hitters, you know, continuously serve your crowd on Netflix platform. Yeah, and and I think you know one thing that we should mention also is you know when you look at traditionally the way TV shows were produced. The executives will order a pilot. They'll pay for the pilot. They'll broadcast or you know watch the pilot internally, and then they'll say, you know what, wasn't a hit, or hey, it, it worked really well, and then they order a season, yep. right? And then they're ordering a season at a time. Yep. Netflix orders the whole season up front, which is good for the content Cons- producer. Producer, right? yeah. Right, because the producer can say, if I go to Netflix, I know that I'm going to get my money up front, whereas I'm at more risk with the the broadcast TV, you know, like CBS or NBC. But see, the thing is that CBS is hedging their risk, you know, because they don't know what people are going to want. Yeah, what what is the consumer uptake on those things? Right. And so and the difference is that when Netflix is ordering it all up front, you know, they may pay 100 million dollars for a, you know, production of a show, you know, for you know, 20 episodes or something like that, and yeah. then they find out you know, or fifty million for for a show, and then it's not as popular as they thought it would be. Yeah. On, on that on that note, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up here. On that note, though, so the question here is, why don't they do that? You know, what is inherent about that model that they can't put it here? So yeah. I, I think part of this is to attract the content producers to come to to Netflix. I think right now Netflix is more attractive as a content producer. Um, for the, for or, the contract producers. Yeah, for the contract producers, I should say. Because, hey, I can guarantee a full season. I have more creative control. Um, I don't have to be, you know, broadcast, um, you know, FCC. Uh, I don't have to, you know, follow those rules so I can tell different stories. Um, you know, so th- there's a compelling reason for them to, to go to Netflix versus, you know, because they're competing with HBO and they're competing with yeah. uh, broadcast TV and so on. But I think, you know, I think I do think that, like, you know, you have a it's a slightly different model. It it works better for content producers 
to come to Netflix. Yeah. But but where it where it falls is that if they make a mistake, you know, it's basically they've set that money on fire. Yeah. You know, I think if I were so yeah, I think that that's a really good point. It's really good for content creators to do business with Netflix because you get that money up front, you get that guarantee. Right. Especially in the show business, you don't know. I mean, the future is really bleak or not bleak, but you know, very uh, kind of cloudy for a lot yeah. of these content producers. Yeah. To have that guarantee is a is a big advantage for content producers. Right. But I'd also say, kind of bring up this point too. Let's say you and I are on, are on you know have you know get got a seat on Netflix and we're able to kind of make decisions on on, on you know the whereabouts of the company. Yeah. If we were on that seat, I think this model is also compelling because we are trying to attract the best talent. Sure. Yeah, right. I, I, we I, are we are the underdog in this field, right? We are we are going in as an underdog to attract these you know top notch talent, top notch content creators. So, providing these value proposition, this is our value proposition to you, the content yeah. creators, to come work with us. Yeah. So I think it. Uh, I think that. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and I'm, one thing I would say though to make that, you know, the counter to that is, sure. Netflix focuses heavily on adult content and critically acclaimed type content right um you know they had uh a movie that they thought would win the best picture this last year but you know the interesting thing about that is look at you know so there was a there's a great thing that was uh done by uh, uh pbs where they they wanted their readers or their, their listeners to um to rate the best books of the 20th century. Um, and it was, it was not based on critical acclaim. It was based on, you know, you know, criteria that were, you know, how, how likely were you to reread the book and things like that. And all of the top 10 were basically children's books. Right. And the idea there was, is that people have a very fond kind of, you know, uh, attraction to children's stories. Right. When you look at, you know, Lord of the Rings and these other things that were Harry were, Potter, Harry Potter, they're all geared to kids, right? You know, of varying ages, you know, mm. between five and, you know, 15 years old. And those are the things that people are, it's endearing to them, right? That's so when you look, when you look at Netflix, they make something that's critically acclaimed. Everybody's like, yeah, that, you know, it's the emperor's new clothes. It's, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, for the next six months or a year, everybody's talking about it. But it doesn't have a lot of legs, right? And so that content just basically disappears over time, right? And so that that content backlog, to me, is not as valuable as Disney's, you, for example. Disney's. And so what I'm, what I, what we're going to see right now is when we talk about their finances, and which is, um, which is coming up, is they just have to keep funneling money back into the content stream. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people aren't going to keep going back yeah so so on, on that point i think another interesting point to bring up here is okay if that is the case right if that is the case that okay yeah i get your point that children's content lasts a longer period of time and you can kind of monetize you know monetize it for that longer duration of that life cycle if that is a case netflix is also creating children's content but but the rebuttal for that re rebuttal for that argument is Disney, in comparison to the content you're creating just now, have have long history of, 
you know, of, of content creation, you know, 70 plus years of it. Yeah. And so if you are to compete against the giant that is Disney in children's content, it's, you know, the, the, the possibilities are, you know, the, the, the futures are very bleak if you I, want to compete in the children's space. Well, I, I, what I would say is there's no reason that Netflix can't produce a ton of children's content. And they, they do have some. Sure, yeah. Right? But they're not going to beat Disney at making children's content, right? I, I mean, it's it's one of those things that you gave them $100 billion to do that. They still wouldn't win, right? I mean, there's a, there's a whole level of yeah. that machine is just amazing, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, Disney bought Pixar. Pixar is a fantastic, you know, business. I, I mean, I, I would say that there are very few unassailable moats in the world. Mm, yeah. Disney is one of those, right? Because the other thing that Netflix has doesn't have that Disney has is look at how they monetize that. Mm. They have toys, they have the theme parks, the parks yeah. you know, that you can go buy clothes, you can buy Disney branded stuff everywhere. That is a very powerful, you know, moat that, you know, you can't just overnight create, yeah. right? And then, you know, Netflix can certainly make toys and the, these other things. But what what is attracting people to the content is the content is actually only the tip of the iceberg for Disney. You watch the movie, then you go to Disney World, you buy the toys, you you know, you do all of this stuff. And soon that one movie that they, co- you know, costs them nothing to make because they've made it all up in all these other things that they've done, yeah. you know. So, I also I just want to point out, point this out. I know we we're kind of chaining our arguments to something that you know isn't directly tied to the kind of the checklist or order of things. But I want to say this: um, you know, for children, it's it's interesting to look at kind of the behavior of the children, right? And and you have two of them. Who is the, who's on the driver's seat when you are looking at the content? Because I think. For Disney, you've watched, you grew up watching Disney content. So when yeah. you have a kid, you have when you have kids, you're gonna you're gonna kind of naturally gravitate towards that. Right. So it's kind of a cyclical thing that you kind of inherit from your father, your parents, and then you yeah. kind of pass it down to your children as well. Whereas Netflix, you know, like does the children kind of automatically gravitate like look for that, or is it more of parents who are driving that kind of kind of content selection? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said for that, like. You know, I I grew up watching Disney and Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon isn't even in my wheelhouse right now. I don't even see it, mm-hmm. it when I'm looking for media or things like that. Yeah. So you know, there's there's a you know what I I see the problem with with a lot of that is it's the 800 pound gorilla. They produce so much content that you're basically always going to end up hitting Disney at some you know some point. And they're going to have flops, and they're going to have that. But sure. you can think about they—they they have Marvel, they have Star Wars, they have basically my entire childhood. Right? <laughs> you know, they've—they've yeah. captured you know captured my entire childhood. So it's going to be hard for me to see that. And so when I think about it, I'm like, well, I'm going to buy this so that I can watch you know Daredevil or you know you know some other Marvel show. And then my daughter also benefits from being able to watch the entire Disney catalog. Okay, I mean. You know, shut up, pro- shut up and take my money. You know, <laughs> so yeah. Okay, let's get back to the checklist. Yeah. Um, so we touched on the okay. Yeah, we touched on the competitive advantages so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the long term prospect for the company and runway for growth. Uh, can you take us on this uh, question here? Yeah. So despite our dire, you know, are trying to tear down their mm-hmm. moat, 
I do think that they still have a long runway for growth. You know, the the international markets are are picking up their content. They're they're in 190 countries and they're going to continue to grow. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of you know area for that. Where I don't know, you know, is when these other services start coming out. How does that affect them, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm not I don't have the answer. I think the the thing is these are the risks I see. Only time will tell, you know. And certain you know certain things like as value investors we can tolerate a certain level of uncertainty, right? We we can tolerate certain things, and we can we can't tolerate other things, right? This is a disruption, potential disruption to their business, you know, directly. Yeah, core right? core business. Yeah. To their core business. And that, that to me is where a lot of uncertainty lies. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I go out and short the stock, uh, right? Because I don't do that, right? And I don't I don't recommend anybody do that because I, I think they can, you know, it could turn out badly for you. But that also means that I'm very wary of, you know. The downside of, risk. Of the downside risk here. So. Mm-hmm. I want an asymmetrical risk reward, you know, ratio here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reward part is tied to the valuation, right? Yeah. But the risk here is tied to the business failing, right? Yeah, totally com- completely collapsing. Yeah. And yeah. so that th- there you know, there is a all levels of possibility that Netflix continues to go. There's also the possibility that, you know, because of their need for content and their inability to get it from, you know, Disney and other places, they may fall apart. Right. right. So that's a risk that I'm, I'm concerned about. Yeah. So those are really good points about the long-term prospects yeah. uh, for the company. Uh, we touched on this point, but let, let me ask this anyway. Does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further reinvestment? Yeah. So that's a hard no. Mm-hmm. You know, they are um, on, on the second one. And they require a ton of capital. Yep. Right? They're going to have to produce content every year. I think the content has short legs with it, so they have to continue to produce. So the way I see this company is it's actually like a if you're a heavy equipment rental business, right, which is one thing that Charlie Munger actually talked about. Um, you know, he gave the anecdote of, you know, I buy all this equipment, you know, rent it out, and then, you know, so I generate some profit, and he says, where does my profit go? Well, it's to go buy new equipment because nobody wants old tractors and old, you know, backhoes, right? So you have to continuously replenish the content. Yeah, sure, you can sell off old stuff, you know, old uh, equipment. You know, so Netflix can't really do that. They they have to continually supply new content, mm-hmm. which, you know, their their take on it is is that we can continue to grow with, you know, that. But the other risk is content that they produce for the US market may not have any appeal to people in Southeast Asia, right? Or to France or to Germany, right? So they may have to produce local content and that content isn't really valuable to the US market, right? Mm-hmm. And they they separate these out, you know, in terms of how they amortize the content and what the cost of revenues and stuff are. And some content is global and mm-hmm. some content is not. But it's also hard to tell, right? You know. Yeah, that, that's a, that's an interesting point. The geographic, you know, culturally, geographically kind of segmented market, there's not a lot of crossover between contents. Of course, there are some, you know, yeah. those are some of the big, big hitting uh, movies. Uh, obviously, it crosses border and crosses languages. But uh, when you are creating content to when you're creating mass content, you know, what what is going to stick? What isn't going to stick? It's hard to predict that. Yeah. 
and that's that's just inherent risk in the show business, I imagine. Yeah, I, I, again, I, coming back to kind of your analogy there about Charlie Munger's analogy, I think that's really sound. And so I, it just kind of, for me, when I was hearing that, when you were just saying that, it reminded me about, it reminded me of Netflix's past. What if they don't produce content? What if they just become the channel through which all these contents are provided to? Yeah. And the content creation itself is just being done by, you know, the content producers themselves. So they're only like the you know, pipeline. Right. I, I mean, that that is a, a, a alternative business model where they I think they'd have to figure out the, um, you know, the, the economics of that. I think the, the risk is the content producers aren't going to necessarily want to front all the money for, you know, they're not going to spend a hundred million dollars on a show that flops. Right. So they have to kind of, they may have to pare back the content that they actually produce, you know, to reduce their risk. Yeah. So I think what happens is because Netflix is guaranteeing it, you're taking on more, you know, expensive content, more complex content, more long form stories, Mm -hmm. more, you know, those kind of things, which is, you know, which is better for the medium, right? As a as a whole, and better, I think, for Netflix, or that's how they per- perceive it. But I think there's also the risk of you may make a show that the Netflix executives love, but America doesn't, right? And if it if they don't, then you know, which no is, business, yeah. yeah. Which is why you know the the broadcast networks always said, "Screw it, I'm going to let you know the pilot tell me Determine. how many people saw the yeah. show." And then I'll reevaluate that every, you know, and I'm sure Netflix does that, right? But they've already paid for it at that point. Yeah. And so sometimes you see can- shows canceled in mid-season because... It's not popular enough. It's not popular enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Um, interesting story here. Yeah, Netflix. Um, Netflix story. Yeah. So I think we covered a lot of grounds in this podcast, uh, this episode. You know, we talked about what company does all the way to its competitive advantage and talking about the capital reinvestment that's required to maintain its business. Yeah. So Netflix certainly is an interesting story. I think um, we shall continue to investigate whether or not this is a good business or not in the next episode. So stay tuned, folks. Uh, We will be back on the next episode. Uh, And thank you all for listening. Thanks.